So we're talking about Mark Smith. Certainly he is making headlines, Paul Bernardo making headlines about all these transfers that uh, we just keep hearing about. And then we get all the promise for change and thoughts and hashtags and all the other stuff, and then nothing happens. There is something that the Trudeau government could have done that would prevent these surprise transfers. In June, there was a private member's bill being pushed by a woman whose uh, father was murdered by an axe killer, and that man was released before his sentence was up. And Lisa Freeman's been fighting to get changes to corrections and parole, which puts victims first and brings transparency into corrections so that victims are kept in the loop in decisions about movement of prisoners. And it had all party support. It could have passed on June 6th, but the Liberals held out and refused. And then just before the session broke for the summer on Wednesday, uh, Conservative MP Colin Carey asked again to have this bill get unanimous consent and... The Liberals blocked it. Lisa Freeman is a fighter for victims' rights. She joins us now. Good to have you. Good morning. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me. So I don't know if this all just goes away or if it's just put on held because they also didn't uh, do anything or complete their bail reforms, which they have been promising, so that gets dragged down. But uh, is this a, a, a pause or does this mean you got to start from scratch? No, it's just a pause. So it's Bill C-320, and the next step is finishing the second reading, and that's currently scheduled for early October. It could have been yeah. set up a little bit, but it wasn't. Um, things could have been better for victims of crime earlier rather than later, but it's still very much on the table. What is the criticism or what is the concern to vote against it? That I don't know, because to me, it's a, a common sense bill. It's uh, just very small changes to the Corrections and Conditional Release Act, namely to let victims of crime have the information in a timely manner. We've all heard about these transfers happening and victims' families are informed 24 hours later after the fact. Let people know before. Let, people, let the public know what's happening before these things happen. And uh, again, it's like I said, it's, it's currently scheduled for early October. So hopefully there'll be some movement around it then. Yeah, but you are talking common sense and we are talking Ottawa and common sense is not a thing anymore, sadly. But here we are again. And the headline now is 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 uh, Mark Smitch. And when I saw the headline, I mean, I, I covered the case, so I know it very well what he did. I was, I was really, frankly, uh, pissed off because he doesn't deserve to be in Beaver Creek uh, minimum and uh, medium facility five years into the um, into the beginning of a, a you know double conviction. And then you hear about the Babcocks, and I'm sure you, you've heard about it. You know, they, they've been basically sitting in silence for two years because, you know, they're they're very much they feel alone. Like if they say anything, nothing will happen anyway. Well, what the public is not aware of, Alex, and what a lot of people are not aware of is that there's a confidentiality notice on every piece of um, communication from the parole board and corrections. And it reads that the addressee should not make this information available to the public by any means, including posting it online. So right there, there's intimidation by corrections and the parole board uh, to families of the victims to keep quiet. Keep this quiet. Keep it to yourselves. There's this big cloak of darkness around everything that you do and uh, that they do. And I've always said, for years I've been saying, that if you're still standing after the initial crime, dealing with yeah. corrections and the parole board of Canada will quickly bring you to your knees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, th there, is this, there, there is this notion that 
privacy and they, they, you know, it's privacy rights, privacy rights, privacy rights, yeah. which a lot of people question. Certainly Ted, uh, Tim Danson has been raising like, wh- wh- why do they get privacy rights? Uh, your father didn't get privacy rights. Laura Babcock didn't get privacy rights. No, no victim of violent crime gets privacy rights. In fact, their whole life is laid out on display and fought over during court proceedings. So there is no such thing as privacy only according to Corrections Canada for the accused. And the extent in which that they will um, try to, to make those privacy rights for the offenders work. Way back in 2014, when I first had my um, parole board meeting for uh, and did my impact statement for this man who killed my father, the parole board introduced me twice by full, ma- by full name in front of this man who killed my dad. When I complained about that very vocally, they said, that's too bad. It's his right to know who's complaining about him. And it's like, where are my rights to, uh, to keep myself anonymous or to be asked how I would like to be addressed in these hearings. It, it just does not matter. It's all for offenders' rights. And I understand that the system has to be about ensuring a fairness, um, you know, for the accused to have a, a fair trial. I get all that. But there's no question the scales of justice have tipped way too far over the last few years as we seem to be moving to this more restorative justice approach where I guess there are people within corrections who truly or even on the parole board and they're accountable to no one and they don't have to talk out and speak or or, or explain, but they seem to want to find second and third chances in people that simply don't deserve them. Right. And for sitting from my point of view, for someone who's lost someone to homicide, second and third chances should come to me. My dad was killed by somebody who was on parole already for another crime. So he already had his chance. So he should not be living in a a halfway house at this point in time. He should still be, to me, in my mind, in maximum security prison. And that's how I think about um, uh, Mark Snitch and Paul Bernardo. There should be no movement. They committed the crime. They should be in maximum security for the rest of their time. Yeah, well, I I think so as well. Um, You know, Mr. Um, Clayton Babcock has sent a note to yesterday, and I thought he he sent me back something quite, um, uh, you know, interesting, and I do think it raises interesting points, because he he raises two things that in future he would love or would prefer that if sentences included a stipulation on what level of prison the guilty should be placed in, Mm -hmm. and if Corrections Canada were to make a move for maximum security, then it be approved by a judge with input from victims. But as he points out, Corrections Canada is federal. And the superior courts are provincial, and they don't talk to each other, and they all have different um, ways of doing things. And does your bill address any of that? Like, how do you streamline what is very, you know, um, I wouldn't say, I could say it's broken, but very disjointed. Well, the name for the bill is the Truth in Sentencing Bill. And we've all heard life in prison, no parole for 25 years. Well, that's not true, because oftentimes, even now, it's not uh, for Mark Mm -hmm. There's no, the the time has not moved. The man who killed my dad was doing community service at 22 years. So it's to try to get some truth, reflection uh, of the truth in what's actually being sentenced here. So if there's no parole for 25 years, there should be zero movement at all until that milestone. So that's not happening. So the bill would address that. It would also address um, offenders who go past their full parole eligibility date to have an in-office hearing with people like me present. Right now it's a closed office with one panel. I would like it to be, you know, my participation and with three people making this big decision, not just a closed uh, office decision uh, without taking what I have to say on board. 
What do you say to those, and there are a lot of people who say, well, what does it matter, medium or maximum? They're not getting out, so what, do they not get to move around at all? Like, what do you say to those people? Why does it matter to you? They do get out, first of all, um, and it comes down to justice. Obviously, we're not getting our loved ones back. But to me, in my eyes, you know, you need to pay for the crime that you've committed. And to me, we don't have capital punishment in this country. So it should be life in prison. And to me, that should be maximum. They shouldn't have the rights and the freedom of movement that they're getting. And they certainly shouldn't have the movement and the transfers. And the public not knowing, the families not knowing until after it happens. The whole system needs to be rebalanced and recalibrated sooner rather than later. This happens all the time, Alex. People just mm-hmm. don't know. The public does not know. They're knowing now. Yeah. Because they're the big Well, they hear the, profile. Profile. Yeah, they, they hear the profile ones, but they don't right. necessarily hear the every day. And there are... I can list many, many families that have come to me about the same thing happening. And the realization why we find it so frustrating is that the system wasn't designed for victims of crime. The system was yeah. designed for offenders. That's why we're all hitting brick walls. Do you feel like um, the change will come? I'm hopeful. I certainly won't stop um, asking for change. Um, all of the things that I'm asking for won't affect me and the offender who killed my dad, uh, but it will hopefully make the path easier for those who are on it with right now and in the future. I think the change will come. I think we just have to keep working at it. And I think uh, the media, people have to keep talking about it. Like I said, there's this confidentiality banner prohibiting people, mm-hmm. victims, families, from talking about it. I say ignore that and, and talk. Do what you need to do. Yeah. Well, stay tuned. We'll, we'll keep talking about it, Lisa. I very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, Lisa Freeman. She's uh, continuing the fight. She feels um, like she's going to get somewhere, uh, you know, hopefully maybe in the fall. But again, they certainly don't make it easy in Ottawa for that. So again, her father was Roland Slingerland, killed in 1991 by a guy who didn't even end up serving out his whole sentence before getting parole. And then they would find out that he lives 15 minutes away from her sister upon his release. It's just this kind of stuff constantly is not okay. So we will see where this conversation goes. Should it go anywhere? Because don't forget, all the politicians are now on summer break. Not a care in the world they don't have.